This week in the Proving Grounds, two sides to every stonk. Three if you count the truth. Hot art sells. Ooh, that's nice. Yu-Gi-Oh, this community is toxic. Yeah, don't be a shitbag. This region belongs to Rakdos. Grounds, the only Magic the Gathering podcast that proves bacon turkey is better than turkey bacon. Mm, bacon. I'm your host, Moderator Dave, and with me we have Ben. Hey, everybody. Happy uh, post-turkey day. And also joining us is Other Dave. Yeah, I'm here. I think. Mm-hmm. Are we all carbo-loaded? We're like, are we, are we slept the comas off? Uh, no, I'm still in a coma. You might have noticed no podcast last week. We were a little under the weather. I was a little under the weather, man. I was all like fevered and hallucinating. Hey, I was like comatose on turkey. <laughs> well, that's uh, you know, bacon grease. I'm did mm. when when you ate the turkey with the mm-hmm. injected bacon grease. Mm-hmm. Did you actually feel your heartbeat slow down? Uh, I, there was a pain in my chest, um, like. <laughs> Like, could you could you physically feel your arteries clog while you were eating it? Like, um, you were like, oh, I feel it. I, if, I actually... If arteries clogging feels like chest pain, then yes. Did your sweat smell like bacon grease? It did! <laughs> this is no lie. I don't usually have BO, but after eating this turkey, I had a little bit of a, like a, I don't know, a ripeness that resembled a little bit of greasy. Oh, yeah. It's the meat sweats. Yeah, meat sweats. Mm. So uh, what else have y'all been doing this week? Playing Magic the Gathering. Yeah. I've been hitting arena hardcore, mostly because it's just it's just easy to like brew standard stuff on arena because it's like easier to find cards uh, and just look at them. So uh, did you uh, have you finally given up on Overwatch 2? No, I got that. I got the uh, Cyber Demon level two hundred, and then now, now I'm I'm now I'm done as of yesterday. <laughs> Until what the next one comes out in what ten days? Yeah, something like that. I might Wait. go clean up a couple of the other challenges I never got, mm-hmm. character specific ones and whatnot. None of the character specific mm-hmm. ones are very hard. Yeah, I didn't kick anybody with Zenyatta, so it's probably good to do that with kick like with a boot. Yeah, he like sticks his leg out and boops him off the edge. Oh, it's a new thing for the character. Cool. Um, Jay's yeah. like, like, I'm so uninterested in this. <laughs> it's his tone was everything. <laughs> this cool. is what I feel included. Uh, so I didn't get a lot of magic playing done last week because uh, everybody at my house had the flu, which was uh, why we didn't have a podcast last week. Mm. Um, yeah. Did play a little bit, got the gold uh, with my uh, new Explorer brew. Nice. I'm using air quotes on new because it's just my regular <laughs> red aggro deck, but with Swiss <laughs> beers put in it now because they just oh, came out. Oh, right. So works good. Yeah. Came out on Arena finally. Yeah. I was very stoked. I was, uh, we were brewing. Your deck got like 50% better. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, we was brewing all the the week that the brother's work came out on that um, 
arms, arms race, race. Yeah. And then I was sitting there over the weekend going, wait a minute. Monastery Swiss beers out in arena now. And it's because, a common. And yeah, I can brew it a, for real cheap. Yeah, it's uncommon. So I'm going to go ahead and make me some copies and put it in my Explorer Oh, that's deck. right. It is uncommon in uh, Brothers War. Yeah. It's not. It's common in uh, double double masters, yep. but not. Okay, so, it's popper legal, but you still have to spend an uncommon wild card on arena. Yeah, well, depending on how, what you consider popper on arena. You're right. Did Did any of you uh, jump into was the gladiator uh, thing that they added on there? Oh hmm. man, I was going to, but like I couldn't. M- muster up the mental fortitude to put together a gladiator deck and i didn't want to do the the blue white one that we had put together <laughs> for the challenge i want to do something new so i was like yeah, yeah. so i i jumped in with the uh the deck that we had built oh you stomped our asses with yeah. yeah and uh i won my first match like like easy um and then uh, like i hate that it's it was did you guys know it was best two out of three no, yeah. So it's best of three, yeah. And um just the randomness of that format. Yeah. It was like mm-hmm. I would win one, get mana screwed, get mana flooded, lose. I, I like lost four in a row, and I was like, this it takes too long to lose in best of three, especially in that gladiator yeah. format with mm-hmm. like all the swings and changes of, of each match. And I was just like, All right, I guess I'm I'm quitting with one win because this is kind of a nightmare. It is very long-winded format. There are better formats out there. Yes, sorry, Bob. Well, I guess uh, let's move on to news and get this uh, well, podcast. Also, I also built a new standard deck. Oh, oh, oh cool. Oh. Are you going to yeah. share this one with the, the the audience this time around? Or is this one of your secret tech brews? Uh, so this is not really my brew. Um, I, okay. I had seen that people were playing Grixis. Uh, and I pretty much already had all of the cards because most of the cards from that deck are were in the the red black deck that I've been playing. You know, Shouldred or all the rares, I should say. Yeah, Shouldred and uh, you know the. Now I can't think of what all was in there, but pretty Is much this everything. The Invoke Despair deck. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah Invoke Despair. All that stuff is already in the deck that I've been playing. So I was like, okay, you know, the only thing I don't have are the lands. Mm. So I can I can pretty much build this without using any wild cards. And then, you know, if I like it, I probably using wild cards on dual lands is never a bad investment. Right. You're gonna use uh, those for a couple of years. Yeah. So uh I I built that. I've been enjoying it somewhat, but um it does feel like people are are starting to build around it. Yeah, but that makes it's sense. A like deck to beat for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I'm playing a lot of people who are like specifically like, oh yeah, well, this is best of one, so I'm gonna put my invoke despair counters main boarded. Yep. I've even seen some tech. I forget the card, but it's like, hey, you can play this card. It's a creature, and also, oh, it's the spirited companion. They're saying, hey, play the Spirited Companion because you get the value off it. And if they play Evoke Despair, that's a good target for you to sacrifice because yep. it's an enchantment and a creature. So, like, people are even making their decks with their creatures in mind to play around Invoke Despair. Yeah. But, mm. uh, 
it, it's okay so far. I mean, I uh, I want to say I, I played like five or six matches with it, and I think I won four or five of them. Yeah, it's a good deck. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to keep playing it because uh, it, it, you know, the deck that I'm playing in in historic feels um, preferable. I guess I don't know. I prefer the way that that one like goes after the hand rather than the board. Yeah, uh, first. Maybe I could retool it. Maybe I could add some, uh, was it dreams of of blood and metal, or was it whatever the, the um, oil and oil and blood or blood? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I do really like that card, and it seems like it'll be pretty good in the meta too. Yeah, yeah, that's the one that takes something from the hand and the graveyard, right? Yeah, creature or artifact. Yeah, that seems pretty value. Yeah, was it one black or? It is one block, yes. Yeah. Def- definitely value. I think standard's looking good right now. Yeah, I want to try a few other things in standard. I just, uh, you know, with the way wild cards are right now, I'm yeah. not I'm not going too crazy on it until I have a better idea how the meta's going to shake out because I don't want to use a bunch of wild cards on something. And that, and then, that is unfortunate. And <laughs> that is not, the worst feeling, yeah. And not be able to play it because, yeah, that's just not where you want to be yeah and later on in the discussion section i was going to talk about more kind of what i found in the brewing aspect of uh, brothers war so stay tuned you gonna move on to news dave I was, well i was gonna a long pause because like you seem to be cutting everybody <laughs> off when i try to move on <laughs> do not change oh. the channel too long and it makes us keep talking yeah okay look let's go over some news uh don't uh, dial kids today are uh, like what's a dial i have no idea what a dial is <laughs> that's soap that my dad uses because what else do actually, we call a dial in society seriously uh i don't know but I, do we have I things that have... rotate anymore uh the volume mm. on my Car, Car stereo. stereo. Yeah, yeah, that's about it, right? There you go. See, it still makes sense then. Don't even touch the dial. Like, don't turn it up or don't turn it down. Yeah, even yeah, thermostats all... you just control with your phone. Yeah. I mean, technically, mine does also have a dial, but yeah, I've never, don't think I've ever used it. Yeah, mine's a push button, like up and down. It doesn't have a dial. Huh. Interesting. Anyways, y- y'all done? Yeah. No, I need to interrupt you one more time. <laughs> Okay. But it's going to be unexpected. Anyways, so if you guys... If so, what, listen, <laughs> <laughs> so if listeners remember from our last podcast where we talked about the uh, Bank of America downgrading Hasbro's stock on account of how they handle Magic the Gathering and we... That was like brand new, fresh news. Uh, like literally dropped the morning we recorded that podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, uh, Hipsters of the Coast kind of did a in-depth look into the report that Bank of America issued with that and kind of uncovered that maybe their take on how Wizards uh, is handling Magic the Gathering isn't exactly what we thought it was. And what the the community at large thought it was, and I just wanted to touch on that a little yeah. bit. So what they're saying is there's there's some doubt to the validity of Bank of America's actual like 
process that they evaluated, right? Is that yeah. the, the general... They're not saying it's false. They're just saying they question the methods that they use to evaluate. Yeah, like Bank of America said it was a, a deep dive into their business practices and said deep dive included going to two targets to suss out how retailers are handling magic stock. That's so, a, that's a legitimate deep dive right there. Yeah. Well, there was there's more to it than that, but it's like, you you visit two targets and that's all you did to see like you could find a Walmart to go to or to, to be fair uh, though that is the exact kind of deep dive that I would expect out of Bank of America. <laughs> well, we went to our local targets and uh, you know they were just all over the shelf, so fuck them. Yeah, and then um, the report didn't seem to account for Arena or the digital game aspects of the the magic the gathering business either which i personally think is a huge exclusion considering that seems to be at least half of watsi's you know business plans for the future um, my guess is that is the future of magic i i would guess in the next decade we phase out physical cards that would make me so sad that would make me very sad i, I do have even... a question about the target before we move on um, so so I, I was, let me clarify that statement. Not to say that the physical cards will not exist, but that you will never see tournament play of physical cards. Okay, I believe that. I I, I will I will I will I'll like get wizard on that. sponsored tournaments, like big DreamHack kind of stuff. Will like, all be yeah. exclusively on either Arena or MTGO? Gotcha. But, but I, I'm, I'm your hoping local paper tournaments. I'm hoping in the next decade they just phase out MTGO, honestly. I hope mm. they just make it like Arena and not, but not like the wild card situation. They just make the, you know, spruce it bring, up a bit. Bring over the Arena UI and, yeah. and, uh, but not the market, not the store. Keep the market. What's the, what's the word that I'm looking for? Quality of life improvements. Yes. Yes. Um, so about the Target issue or whatever. So they're saying that Bank of America went to Target and sussed out since it had old product like Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow, that that means that they're not moving enough product through there. Like what is like my question is, do they know? I don't know. Do they know what percentage of magic cards are sold at big box retailers? Like I, I would know. assume the majority of their their business is not there, right? Or is I it? I, not. I mean, I don't know, but I do know that every time that I go to Walmart, they are completely fucking sold out. Yeah, I, that's my experience with Walmart. I don't know what these mm -hmm. two targets, but yeah. either way, like what percentage of the business? Because if you're saying that there's a ton of product that's old in this store. That's not just that on its face is not indicative of anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, worst case scenario, that's indicative of the fact that Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow weren't very good sets. Not that Magic as a whole is in trouble. Yeah. <clears throat> it just means I don't those know. Big box retailers have a lot of stock. Hey, maybe yeah. they also went to a GameStop and saw that they had some too. <laughs> Yeah, they did. did according according to the the hipsters article. The only retail stores they visited were those two targets I had mentioned. So, you yeah. know, not going to GameStop, not going to Walmart, 
the, you know, I mean, those are big players in the retail market for games and stuff. So seems odd. Yeah. And they, they do talk about the fluctuations of the collector booster box prices um, mm-hmm. based on its initial value. And that, that, I mean, that's a trend they can monitor, I guess. Talking mm-hmm. about like when, when Kamigawa came out, it was, you know, $220 for a box and now it sells for 206 for the booster yeah. box or collector's boosters box. So like that's a market that you can see that, but like the price hike for the months after that went up to $280, like mm-hmm. that, that just shows, that just shows that the demand like increased because of their, you know, there was the neon ink foils in Kamigawa mm-hmm. And then after people got the neon ink that they wanted, then it declined. Then that seems like a natural ebb and flow of of business, right? Once demand's yeah. met, the product decreases. That doesn't mean it's a failure. That just means that they made a shit ton of money for a little bit of time and then it decreased. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know what that translates into like long-term marketability or long-term sustaining of a company, but it, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, hey, yeah, I guess for me, after reading this article, I'm less concerned about the long term well being of the game. It, you know, obviously they're putting out a lot of product, and sometimes it's frustrating. We we talk about that a lot, actually. I'm concerned for the long term viability of my wallet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and that doesn't change the fact that I still feel like I'm being like I'm like I I, like the FOMO, right? Fear of missing Mm -hmm. out. Like when I can't afford all these products, I become less interested in in some of them just by natural. That that still absolutely exists, you know. Mm-hmm. But like Wizard's stance, and that is, if you don't like the product, sometimes it's not for you, you know. Yeah. But well, I mean, I kind of agree with that. But yeah, you know, I also an industry where that FOMO is very much a thing there too in comic books. You know, it's it's very much like oh, you're you got to get this one in fifty incentive now. Or later, it's going to be hundreds right. of dollars. Right. And mm-hmm. you're not going to be, you know, you got to get it now. Everything is about creating an environment where people feel like they need to buy a product now. Yep. Yeah. I mean, just for example, just like that, Amazon has Black Friday deal for a box of Dominaria United for 80 bucks. If there's a children in there, that's a $65 card, you know, mm-hmm. and I need children's, so I don't want to buy them. So maybe I buy a box. You know, for and maybe get it plus some other cards that I need from the set. So, like, could be anything in that box, even the right? thing I need. I know. I know. Uh, this is been... so that feeling is still there, right? I mean, but that's again I, a FOMO feeling. I think this has been the worst Black Friday um, in terms of deals that I have experienced in a long time. Like, I I spent less money this Black Friday than any Black Friday in the past. Do you know what I noticed? Black what? Friday deals were the same as Cyber Monday deals. Same deals. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that happened a lot last year, too. Oh, did um, it? I didn't pay yeah. attention last year. It's kind of just become like the weekend of sales. Right. But like, I don't, this year, there just weren't that many great sales. Like, yeah, I didn't notice any really good ones except that box of Dominator United for 80 bucks. Yeah. Like, I think I mm. bought one video game, maybe, and usually I ended up buying like 10. Yeah. That's what I usually spend my Black Friday money on. Um, and 
in the past, it's always been when we bought a TV, and I don't think any TV that we were interested in was on sale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's, it's been a pretty disappointing Black Friday. I, I suspected this is going to be the trend going forth. <laughs> I also noticed uh, one of one of the websites that um, I frequent. They had a a fifty percent off sale. But all of their prices mysteriously went up thirty three percent. Uh huh. So you're really, yeah, you're yeah. only only getting a couple points off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's still five dollars off, which is not a, a, a terrible deal on things that are usually like fifteen. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, it was fifteen, and then it went up to twenty, but now it's fifty percent off, so you get it for ten. I'm like, okay, you know, five dollars off is still five dollars off, but it's not the deal they're making it <laughs> out. That's to some me. shisty, shady shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So anyway, so this Bank of America thing, like it did, it did legitimately affect Hasbro's stock. Yeah, because they downgraded it from buy to underperforming. Is, I mean, is this is this what we call like um, uh, what is it called antitrust stuff? Like, no. like well, no, not it's not antitrust, but like. If they had in, if they were like, "Hey, we're gonna sell and then buy them back later," and they make this report, you know what I mean? Like, you could do some shady shit unintentionally with that. I'm not saying they did; they're doing that, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems like weird for them. Like, I don't know. I, I, it's one of those things where we'll never know the true answer for because, like, I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, I know I don't know what their intentions were, but I'm not saying but, it's bad. But as I said. Earlier, you know, as someone who used to sell credit cards for Bank of America, them doing shady shit is the least surprising thing that I have heard. <laughs> okay, here's my tinfoil hat conspiracy. So put your tinfoils on and, and 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 gather around and tell you tell you my theory. Um, do y'all remember? It was like towards the beginning of this year, the uh, Reddit thing that was going around where the uh, Hedge fund was trying to get Hasbro to spin off Wizards. Oh yeah, yeah, to yeah. Be its own yeah, company. Yeah. yeah. And um, there was like a bunch of finance bros and some um, magic personalities. Um, yeah. Trying to work together with the the hedge fund to get Watsy spun out of Hasbro. I uh, wonder if they made some uh, phone calls to their uh, their buddies there in uh, Bank of America and been like, <laughs> hey. Did you uh, make Wizards look less appealing to Hasbro yeah. so that we can keep pushing this uh, this plan? <laughs> I mean, that would also not surprise me. Yeah. We're okay. not saying it's it's what it is, but if it comes out that way, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ten foil hats, not alleging anything. But regardless of anything, the the main point for me is that I think that they need to be careful about printing, uh, overly printing stuff. Just I, I think I, that they should take caution because if if mm-hmm. like no matter what Bank of America did, the hearts and minds of the people is you're making too much product. Yeah. Uh, so like they need to watch that because the hearts and minds of people is who's is what's going to sink or float their company. Yeah. Milk so, those whales, baby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, get that fat off of them. Make some candles. Like I don't care about the Magic Thirty proxies because, like, that is something that does not affect me at all. But like mm-hmm. printing ad nauseum sets and like 
that kind of stuff is is mm-hmm. is what affects me as a consumer in my buying habits and the game as a whole because like the proxies aren't going to affect the game as a whole mm-hmm. so those are collector's pieces and the only thing i'm gonna say they- one more well eh, we'll touch on that later since that kind of dovetails into something we're talking about later mm-hmm. on in the podcast but um yeah, I think that generally people are becoming very fatigued of the amount of products that are coming out, and that can't be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, like, what was it with the 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 Yu Gi Oh streamer that got heckled by the Magic person, yeah. the Magic community, because the Yu Gi Oh <laughs> streamer was looking at Magic Thirty stuff because Magic yeah. players don't know how to not be toxic and spew toxic shit everywhere. Yeah. Yes. It's like, okay, well, guess we'll go into that now. Um, so there was a Yu-Gi-Oh streamer who was contacted by Wizards of the Coast and offered a couple boxes of the Magic 30 product to open on their stream. Couple boxes? And, and, That's $2,000 worth of product. Uh, look, this is third-hand information. I'm just, a couple boxes. It might have been a box, but it was definitely... Right. Anyway, yeah, point... Yeah, I was just yeah multiple. <laughs> yeah, it's I want to be an influencer. You are an influencer. <laughs> yeah, you just yeah. don't have a lot of influence right now. Anyways, so the streamer was offered product to open on stream as like a sponsored video. So they made the video, they put it out, and then almost immediately, the toxic part of the Magic: The Gathering community oozed out of the woodwork and just started bombarding this individual's videos uh, with uh, not very nice comments about how this product was crap and about how they didn't understand why Watsi gave, you know, this person this product when they're not even a magic streamer, blah, 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 you know, basic toxic nonsense. It got so bad that the person took down the video made an apology video and was flat out like never doing magic content again. And that's, that's a, that's a shame. Why the exact opposite effect that wizards hope for. They probably hope to get some Yu-Gi-Oh people into magic, but if Mm -hmm. their Yu-Gi-Oh streamer that they watch and, and pay attention to says, I'm never going to do magic again, you better believe that they're not going to do magic, you know? Yeah. Well, their their first interaction with our community was a bunch of toxic yeah. butt wipes. Who uh, were probably just at- salty because they they can't get their hands on those proxies because it's not co- it's cost prohibitive to them. It, Which it's probably yeah. the main reason. Fair, also, keep in mind a lot of people's first experiences with our community is a lot of toxic bullshit. Um, That's true. Which is a shame. And why a lot can't of we made- just all be happy and accepting like Post Malone? Yeah. Yeah. He seems yeah. like a pretty chill dude, you know? Yeah, Why can't we all just be chill like that? Can we just be chill like Post? Okay, this is a tangent, but I gotta tell the story. Do you see the video of Post? He's like standing with a bunch of fans, right? Signing autographs, and some guy goes, Hey, Post. And he's like, What? And he's like, And then he just, I don't know what the guy said, but he's like, You're stupid or you're, you're an asshole. And the Post just looks at him like he, like, Post died inside. And he's all like, <laughs> Why would you say that? <laughs> like the uh, sound of silence just plays. Yeah. Uh, it's my old friend. And he's like sad. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, why would you say that? 
it was the most wholesome thing, like reaction to somebody yeah. being a fucking asshole. He's like, I really don't understand why you hating on me. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, it's a shame. And the thing that I don't like, nothing is an excuse for treating somebody way this streamer got treated. No, if right? you don't it's like Hasbro, YouTuber. bitch, at Hasbro, don't don't no. attack a person. But like, the the thing that I don't get about the M30 strategy, the uh, 30th edition strategy that the wizard seems to be doing is like initially trying to sell it as a nostalgia thing, right? And mm-hmm. then they're they're going and overpricing it so people who aren't rich can't experience the nostalgia and then also they're giving it to people outside of the community where that nostalgia isn't a thing and it's just weird and that is odd i I just i don't know what wizard's strategy with this uh 30th edition is because i it's i like in my mind it's collector's pieces for collectors and it should have been marketed that way yeah. And they don't they seem to be marking it every other way but that. Well, and if you look at the cards, they're they have a rotted text on them. They don't even have the original text. So how how collector is that? You know, Black Lotus should say say, you know, add three mana of any one color and discard. Like or whatever the original wording is. It shouldn't just be sacrifice this artifact, add three mana of any color. Like it should say the year. If this was really truly a nostalgic celebration of Magic's 30 years of existence, they would go ahead and they're not tournament legal anyway, so just print the original text on them. I think that the messaging behind this and their intent, I, I don't know. This seems like a half-baked scheme that somebody greenlit without actually thinking of the impact. And it, mm. it shows by the ire of the community and like this poor streamer <laughs> got attacked <laughs> Because of it, you know, like yeah. what, what, what's like, going on here? Y'all need to handle yourselves better out there, people. So let me ask you guys this too, because I, I this is something I always wonder: Would you trust that the contents of any package that Wizard sends out for promotional videos uh, are not like tailor made to make people interested? Um, I I do not trust that they would. I I, I think that they're the, they are likely to stack the deck. Yeah, because if this if this streamer they're sending these packs out to opens a black lotus, then you're most likely <laughs> you're more likely to go out and buy one, right? Be like, mm-hmm. oh, that guy got a black lotus. That's possible, you know. Like, so I don't put it past them. Yeah, because that's every time I see this, that's that's the first thought that I have is, oh yeah, these packs are uh, rigged. Yeah, like they they made these packs so that people would want to buy the product. I do know there was some speculation about that on the uh, Twitter space, but you know how Twitter is. So I don't know how legitimate it I, is. But. I don't know how Twitter is. I'm not on it. Unlike you, Elon <laughs> Musk loving nerds. <laughs> Take that back. Hey, you're on Twitter. Rage quit. I did not say anything that was untrue. I don't love Elon Musk. I I, see your actions speak louder than your words. (laughs) Methinks you doth protest too much. (laughs) Okay, so Um, 
we 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 do have a little piece of news though that uh, does have great and actual uh, nostalgia for real, old magic. Real quick before we move on though, I want to tell everyone in the magic community: stop being toxic dickheads. Yes, Let people win. Let people. You don't need to be mad at every person who yeah. is new to magic or is plays Yu Gi Oh sometimes and wants to check out magic. Let people do what they love. Don't shit yeah. on someone for doing things. Just let the guy make money. He was just trying to make some money. Yeah. Let him do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be mad at every person. You don't. You don't have to be, have mad to be at anyone because they didn't give you packs of cards to open. Just. <laughs> Bringing new people into the community is the only way this community survives. Yep. Yeah. So pushing people out isn't going to help in the long run because eventually everyone ages out of playing Magic. I don't know about that, but yeah. I mean, well, you say that, but also you had like a decade where you didn't play. That's true. That's true. The, the, the point I was trying to make is eventually everybody gets old and dies. Oh yeah, age if ages out means dying, sure. <laughs> yes. I guaranteed. Um like just be more inclusive. Don't Yeah. Say, uh, hey, those magic thirty cards, you can't play those, but if you come over here, I'll show you some cards you can play. Yeah, you know let's play a game together, you know? Like what? Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm not even just in terms of this video, just in, in general, don't be a toxic dickhead. Be no, yeah. Let people play magic the way they want to play it. Yeah. You got an extra you, deck, let somebody borrow it. Teach them how to ha- play it. You don't have to shit on everything unless it's Pioneer. <laughs> All right, I'll let that one slide. <laughs> All, right, All right, so now some you were actual saying. good nostalgia. If If Wizards could just capitalize on this little piece and figure out how to market something. I don't know. What's the piece, moderator Dave? It's uh, the original painting of the famous Alpha Black Lotus done by Christopher Rush. May he rest the in peace. The one, the only. Yes. Yes. Just recently sold for $4 million. Yeesh. That is a lot of money. Do you, do you think that Wizards will make $4 million on the 30th anniversary proxies? Uh, how many packs is that? I, I mean, it's a thousand dollars for four, so they'd have to sell four thousand. Yeah, four thousand doesn't seem that hard to sell. Four thousand, really? Is that all? Because that would only be well. What's the mass. they what they said it was limited limited print run four thousand boxes, so times four. Yeah, so, that's what I was. Yeah, I was okay. based on okay. the box, not the pack. Got it. That's that was where I was missing. I was like, that sounds really low. So it's it's uh, uh four four thousand times so sixteen thousand packs. I don't know that they'll say sell sixteen thousand packs. I, I see. See, four thousand boxes does not seem that unreasonable to me. Actually, based on the amount of people I've seen that actually want to buy it, because um, I know largely the community at large is, is people who do not want to buy it. But I have yeah. seen. A fair enough people saying the whale, yeah, yeah, that they are going to buy multiple copies of it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a stretch for them to sell Mm -hmm. 4,000 copies. Okay, so the question is whether or not they made 4,000 of the boxes, right? Well, follow up question which one is worth more four million dollars of the or four million worth of proxy cards or that painting? Oh, well, definitely that painting, painting, obviously. (laughs) 
because you know that's an original art piece from someone who is no longer with us. Out of, of curiosity, a, uh, who sold the painting? It was uh, a outlet called uh, MTG Original Artwork, I guess. So it it, it was, was not Vintage MTG via at Vintage MTG. Okay, so it was yeah. sold via them. Is the, is it like uh, the 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 family of Christopher Rush who sold it, or did someone else own it? Did Magic own it? Did Wizards own it? That's what I'm wondering. Is who got the four million? Oh, I see. Um, I don't know if there's information on that particularly. It was sold at the Magic Thirty event in Vegas. Yep. So I don't know. It doesn't say who owned it first. Like you know, the broker private. was Vintage Magic LLC. But yeah. that doesn't mean they owned it. That just means they facilitated it. They could have owned it. I don't know. Yeah, that's really nice, though. I, I I think that's cool. Oh, they even let a whole bunch of people like take pictures with it at the event before they sold it. That's cool. I don't know if I'd let that many people touch it, but that's just me. <laughs> if I was the four million guy handing over four million. Um, I think that there's probably no other piece of magic art that sells for more than this painting because it's just such an iconic card from an iconic artist. Well, that um, Instagram mm-hmm. post by them says that the one that was most before was Demonic Tutor, and that was like uh, it's not it's not coming up. Oh, it was uh, what one hundred sixty eight thousand. Yeah. So yeah, this is way over that. Do you think a Black Lotus will ever sell for four million? Like the no. actual card. No. I don't think so. I mean, what's uh, the highest uh, sale? Like the graded half a million, I think. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, be interesting. I mean, I guess if you're like years down the road, yeah, twenty, thirty years, all yeah. things considered. But at that point, the price of this particular piece of art is going to be astronomically more. All right. There's one of these. Yeah, it's just the one. How many more years do you think it'll take? to get this uh, Christopher Rush Black Lotus painting hanging in the Louvre next to the Mona Lisa. Oh. Well, the, if Wizards doesn't run this into the ground, it's all hinging on that, right? Yeah, probably. Because <laughs> I... Like, Bank of America was right! Oh, no! The one time! Because um, most of the value of this is is its relation to... Yeah. Magic, the game, although right. it is a very lovely piece. Maybe they'll make like yeah. a like a museum uh, for this uh, kind a of museum nerd of gaming stuff. art. Yeah, Dude, yeah, yeah, that actually would be sick as fuck. Yeah, if I own this print or the painting, I would like be like, okay, you guys can put this in your museum. Mm, yeah. No, no, well, absolutely not. It belongs in a museum. If, if you owned a $4 million painting, you would let them put it in a museum. Yeah, they'd probably pay me for it, too. Yeah, see, that's the, that's not what you said, though. Well, I'm not saying I'd, they, I, I'd be like, you can display this for a little bit every month. There you go. In your exhibit. Okay. So, so um, <laughs> if I owned a $4 million painting, I'd probably sell it. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, in order to, in, look, in order to keep a four million dollar painting, I would have to at least have multiple other millions yeah. more than this, right? Um, in order just to hang on to a million dollar painting, I have to have at least two other million dollar paintings to sell. 
Right. But uh, I, I imagine if I did own a $4 million painting, I actually might want to put in the Louvre just because they could probably protect it better than I could. That's, That's true. That's what I was going to say. That's true. It's not staying in my house. Yeah. yeah, they got that climate control and all that. Anyways, so there were a couple of uh, tournaments that happened while we were on break. You guys yeah. want to talk about them? One specifically large one, the U.S. Regionals, right? Dream Hack U.S. Regionals happened in Atlanta. So that seemed pretty big. Eli yeah. Loveman won with their uh, Rakdos mid-range deck. And who did they play in the finals? It was uh, Phoenix deck. Ken Takahama. There you go. Or is it Phoenix deck? Congratulations. Congratulations. On your uh, pro tour birth there, Eli. Ken actually won uh, invites to Worlds, the pro tour and uh, regional championship as well. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Top two? That's or top next. four? Uh, okay. Let's see. The top two won invites to Worlds, the pro tour, and the next regional. And then the top... Three through thirty third, forty eighth rather. Yeah. Um, one invites to the pro tour and the regional championship. Next one, so not a bad prize. Not even counting the monies, which right thirty thousand for the first place, fifteen thousand for the second. Pretty good take. Yeah, that is a pretty good take. That was those were the winners there. There was some other drama. Uh, come out of that event, if I understand correctly. Uh, Some drama memes. How's uh, your collected companies there, uh, Ben, and your Pioneer deck? Nice um, and straight. Well, I don't, I don't actually own any of them, but I get, I get what you're going at. <laughs> they are not curled just, or bent. <laughs> I just assumed you had a, a, no. a collected company deck. No. Because you have every other Pioneer staple. No, I do um, not. Oof. Unfortunately. Anyways, so we had somebody uh, get disqualified from the regional for having very curly Q collected companies. And mm-hmm. uh, an attempt was made by this individual to go to Twitter and, and claim that they didn't cheat and that they had just gotten the secret layer version and that, you know, secret layers got- Pringled. They got me at first too because I was like, "Man, really? They're going to ban them for using, you know, alternate art? Like that's yeah." Disqualified. Uh, I was like, "Man, that's kind of ridiculous." And then, like, because when I first saw it, that was my first reaction. And then, as as more information started coming out, and people were like, "They were super Pringled." It was very obvious that where the collected companies were, it was like, "Oh, yeah, no, you're a cheating ass motherfucker." Right. Yeah. Like how do you how do you not know? And on top of that, regardless of whether it was intentional or not, you should be disqualified. Yes. Like a marked card's a marked card, whether you intentionally marked it or not. Mm-hmm. That's the way I feel about it. Like, yeah, and you like, can't justify it by saying, "Well, they sold it to me this way." Like, you I don't know. you can't. But an attempt was made to do that. For those wondering, there is a procedure that you go through. At tournaments like this, if you feel like you have a card in your deck that is that could be considered marked, where you take your deck to a judge and you say, hey, judge, I feel like I may have cards that might appear to be marked. Can you help me out with this? What do you think? And yeah. if they come to the conclusion that, yeah, 
this can be construed as a marked card, they will facilitate a proxy for you to use. And then that way you can continue on your tournament without, you know, getting the ire of the judges uh, for potentially cheating. So this person should have known that. Yeah. And I think there might have been a tweet saying that they should have done that. Yes. Once, yes. To once be the fair. Info yeah. Came out. They did. They, uh, this person did say that they, that it was their fault and they should have went to the judge. Yeah. Be fair. Yeah. So that's the procedure that you should go to when you feel like you might have a card that could be construed as marked. My question is, should wizards be more cognitive of their secret layer cards um, as it seems to be giving people a plausible deniability aspect for trying to pull shit like this? I mean, they, they can... They can claim plausible deniability, but that doesn't yeah. mean it's actually going to work. Two, I, I mean, I believe that they should not sell Pringled cards like they do. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I correct me if I'm wrong. Um, a couple of years back, didn't someone uh, get disqualified because they had a uh, they had lands that had custom artwork on them? Um, and it wasn't even really like custom. It was like they were signed by some the artist. I think they were signed by oh. the artist who had done the original artwork, and they were like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, you know, you, you're not allowed to have custom." Uh, I I don't know because I I literally watched uh, the NRG series yesterday, and somebody playing there had signed card in their hammer deck. So maybe I'm mistaken, but I I feel like somebody got in trouble for either maybe it was a, a pull on custom card uh, and not yeah not, I mean it could have happened it just probably depends on who's being what you know like what judge is doing because I mean you could call that a marked card I guess but you know, it, my, 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 my idea of a marked card is like when it's flipped over you can tell what card it is Oh no! I remember what it was now. Okay, it was a, it was a bigger issue, not because of the artwork, but because of what the artwork represented. Uh, It was um, someone defaced Therese Nielsen artwork because Therese Nielsen was a public Uh, anti-trans person. I see, and uh, they they put some pro-trans stuff over top of. The Therese Nielsen artwork, and they were asked to remove them or be disqualified. I don't know. I see. It seems like an awesome thing to do to me. Yeah, because um, that then I remember Magic put out a statement uh, which I found: artistic modifications are acceptable in sanctioned tournaments, provided the modifications do not make the card art unrecognizable, contain substantial strategic advice, or contain offensive images. That that makes sense. That ruling makes sense. I I don't know what the card looked like that was in question, but yeah, uh, yeah, I don't remember what the card looked like. It happened in 2019. Uh, it was Autumn Burchett. And that's unfortunate, you know that that person uh, got disqualified. I guess I like I, I don't. They know they did not get disqualified. They replaced the cards. Oh okay yeah. okay yeah. Um, they were they were basically told replace the cards or get disqualified, and they replaced the cards. I misspoke mm. earlier. Um. Hmm. Uh, yeah, basically, she had to remove a few of them that obstructed the name of the card. So, oh, okay, 
I guess um, that technically makes sense. Yeah. The normal procedure for having a marked card, uh, from what I'm understanding from this article, is that if it's a marked card, they might give them a match loss and then fix the problem. And disqualification happens if it's intentionally marked or what? Yeah, I I did see some people say that they were surprised that the person that went straight got, to disqualification. That, that they went yeah. straight to disqualification and they weren't just told replace the cards. So even in yeah. Autumn Burchett's case, she was told replace the cards or get disqualified, and she was given a full day to replace the cards. She did not have to replace them until day two of the tournament. I um, see. Now, granted, that is not Pringled cards that are right. clearly an advantage, um, and that's a whole different situation. But I, I'm surprised he was not given the option to replace the mm-hmm. cards first. How far was it before they realized how many matches? Like, was he seven and zero at that point? I think that there was other evidence that we probably aren't privy to. Yeah, that was suggest that it was very much on purpose. And yeah, uh, based on the reaction I've seen from people who were there, it, mm-hmm. they pretty much said that it was on purpose. Like the guy. Yeah. It was pretty obvious that mm-hmm. he was playing in a way where he knew what those cards were. And maybe, maybe let me let me frame it like this, I guess, because I I don't know about this guy's integrity, but maybe it was like not intentional, but like convenient, like ignorance. You know, yeah, <laughs> he didn't it, he didn't bend the cards up and then put them in his deck. But he's like, ah, oh, this is kind of convenient that this is like this. So I, I think this is this is one of the situations though where you can't judge intent. You have to judge right, one hundred percent. Like you can't sit there and say, okay, well, what do we think he intended? You have to say this was clearly a marked card. You know, th- this is what we do in the case of marked cards. Well, yeah, because um, if they if if he made it through seven rounds or whatever, and then they were like, up, uh, well, now you got a done. He walks away with money. You know, like you can, you have to change it now, and then he loses every game after that. Then he walks away with money, and he shouldn't be walking away with money if those first seven games were, uh, you know, one on the back of a bent up collected company. You know, I because this is a collected company. Like the deck is built around this card. It's not mm-hmm. like it's not a spirited companion that is just a filler card to, you know, get you a card on turn mm-hmm. two. Like yeah, this is the exactly. deck works around this card. So, yeah, exactly. So, uh, moving on, assuming no one else has anything to add to this particular. I, I just wanted to point out like yesterday I was watching the energy, uh, Chicago and last podcast, I was given a lot of hell or maybe it was the time before, but on the burn deck, the modern burn deck, and mm-hmm. I was like, why is this even a thing? Like, it's blah, blah, blah. And like, it just frustrated me. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently it's actually a really good deck because it did win first place at the modern NRG regional qualifier yesterday. You, so you didn't let anyone add anything when Dave asked if people wanted to add. Oh, something. sorry. You just steamrolled right over it. I'm sorry. Did you, you want to sh- add something? Bacon grease. <laughs> Usually that's a resounding no. All, every single time it's a resounding no. We don't need to add anything. And then now you you got you got to grease that thing up. Yeah. Yeah. So um in add the modern grease to everything. Hashtag. Yeah. That, it, now that's how you mark a card. 
Yeah, so burn <laughs> burn took the place. There wasn't too many burn decks. It was the only burn deck in the top sixteen, I think. Um, but mm. it took first place. There's a lot of Rakdos scam and a lot of Zoya's hammer. Um, um, yeah, that burn deck. Congratulations to Adam Weiss, winner of the NRG Chicago with Boros Burn, which I think is the same. For like it's the same deck that was out years and years ago, like it literally has no new cards. That's the same one that we've been piloting. Yeah, like last week, week before last, when we were doing our modern stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the nice. newest card is Skewer the Critics. Yeah, maybe maybe Lava That's, Dart. Hold on, that Skewer the no Critics Lava Dart. Than... Lava Dart's not even in this deck. Skewer the Critics mm-hmm. is newer than Lava Dart anyway. Is it? Is not. I thought Lava Dart was a modern Horizons. I thought that was a reprint, but I could be mistaken. It could be a reprint. Judgment. Yeah, it was from Judgment originally. So it was new to new to modern. Because Judgment I say, I, I felt like Lava Dart had been around for a long time. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah so there yeah, was yeah. a uh, Pioneer event running alongside that modern event. Yeah, it was the day. It was the day before. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. What's Pioneer again? <laughs> well, they get in the covered wagons. And you walk west until you can't walk no more. And pray you don't get dysentery. Mm-hmm. Um, Congratulations yeah, so for doing the Pioneer. There was a modern, or Pioneer 10K the day before. And first place goes to Azorius Spirits, piloted by Sean Ryder. It's kind of a newish deck. I mean, the Spirits deck's been around, but uh, some of the inclusion of the white in the deck is a little newer, which is really nice to see. Um, is it Phoenix being second there? Mm-hmm. Interesting enough, the mono green devotion deck that everybody says is a big problem. Um, let's see. One, two, three, four, fifth and sixth place. Well, so, as yeah. our pioneer expert, is it a problem? Uh, yeah, it's a problem, <laughs> but it's not unbeatable. It's just, it's too powerful. I think something something needs banned from that deck personally, but... Is it Karn? I bet it's, it's Karn. Pro- it's probably well, Karn. Which Karn are you talking? <laughs> Karn Liberated? The Great Creator. Okay. Why, the why one does, that pulls from the sideboard. Why does he need band? What does he pull from the sideboard? Everything. <laughs> like literally anything okay. that you might need. He's so got it. The, the problem with the Mono Green Devotion deck is that it's it's a tough deck to beat on its own. Right, mm-hmm. it's game A plan is like beat you in the face with high powered creatures. They get out sooner than they should due to the ramp. Okay, but the B plan is using Karn to go infinite in a combo or to just grab any answer that might be messing you up. Things that destroy um, your permanence, things that exile your stuff. Uh, so that- is is the main deck good enough that the sideboard is just shit for Karn to grab? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it's literally all it is. So the idea with the mono green is that you have like the chain veil in there so you can activate Karn and Cura twice. You have the Pestilent Cauldron combo that makes you gain basically infinite life, which then you turn, you mill them for the amount equal to the life that you gain that turn, which basically kills their deck. Um, like you win on the spot, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just plan B. <laughs> um that doesn't happen as often. Uh, plan A is beat him in the face and use Karn to get uh, hate pieces from the sideboard. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't have... like the, 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 the main problem of the deck is 
that it is so singularly focused on beating you down with no interaction to the other side that Karn enables you to have this really efficient beatdown plan and then basically cherry pick your hate pieces Mm -hmm. as you need them instead Mm -hmm. of including them in your 60 card deck. That's the Mm -hmm. problem. Um, One of the first games I played against Ben with this uh, green devotion deck is uh, was against his Lotus field deck. And then you just drop Karn, pop a dampening sphere out of the sideboard, lay it down. And then his deck is worthless. And it's like, okay, it's just got, answers to everything you might have a problem with and it's uh very utility that way yeah because damping sphere shuts off lotus field so yep and and you pull that out as you need it oh okay i'm playing this deck let me go get the one thing that stops their deck Mm -hmm. but have they put stone brain in the sideboard um they're not running it yet if they do i don't know because it karn silex didn't even really take off so i don't know if they need it it's more like a win more kind of thing right um, and the problem, the, honestly, yeah. the big problem with Pioneer is that it's so play draw dependent that uh-huh. if if Rakdos sacrifice or not sacrifice, Rakdos midrange is so popular because it's like the only deck in the format that isn't that you can win on the play or on the draw. So every other deck is pretty much like if you get on the play, you're winning. It sounds like such a fun format. Yeah, it needs it needs some work. I, I believe in it. I just think it needs some work. The sad thing is, as much as I shit on it, I, I really do want it to be a success. Yeah, me I, too. I, I think it is good for the game of Magic to have something more modern than modern. Yeah, more approachable than modern. Like yeah, because like, modern's power level was just so absurd. Yeah. Uh, and it's so expensive to buy into. It mm-hmm. would be nice to have something that, that uses more recent cards that doesn't have I, uh, realistically, the biggest like the thing that makes me happiest about it is that there's no fetches, and yeah. I know that's the thing that actually turns most people off from it. But I think, like Mo- Mark Rosewater, that fetches are the biggest mistake that Magic has ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, like without fetches, modern is like not, <laughs> not really a, a as as big as it is. Right, the whole to me, I look at modern as like. I'm going to do some crazy wild shit in magic. And that's why I'm playing this. If I want to play like real magic, like I don't, I hate this term, but boots on the ground, Um, you know, like real, get in the trenches, dig up. I'm going to play pioneer because that's, that's what that format is. It's more, it's more combat focused, uh, you know, not, not so wild combos. So, and that's, that's all modern is, is free spells and combos. Yeah, it's, in some ways it's worse if, than Legacy, man. Like I'm, I'm dead serious. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's uh-oh. well, Legacy is just Force of Wills and Dazes all day long, yeah, days I, for days. It's hard to uh, watch Legacy, even. Hmm. Yeah, but anyway, that's Magic in a nutshell. From from my just wait until the uh, the sticker brew deck gets <laughs> really big in Legacy. And dude, just troll, dude, man, just troll all day long. That's it. Just troll with that stuff. Make Mark Rosewater say the biggest mistake in magic was stickers. <laughs> <laughs> Making stickers black border was the biggest mistake in magic. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. Just next time there's a uh, a team event where it's uh, 
Pioneer Modern Legacy or whatever. Yeah. Throw together a legacy sticker deck and I'll pilot it and you guys can yeah. uh, do the modern and the, the Pioneer one and we'll just uh, take If you get a couple of rage quits, then we win the tournament, uh, right? <laughs> I, I want them to make a foldable the decahedron card. Yeah. That you fold into a 20-sided die and you roll it to see what card you get. There you go. It's coming. You wait. I think realistically, how hard do you think it would be to make a four-sided die card? Like a card that's shaped like a pyramid? Yeah. You know, like if they had a card and then you rolled a four-sided die to see, or yeah, like a, like you would fold it into a pyramid after you cast it and then roll it. How about you lay it out and then you have to pay mana like and level it up <laughs> and fold a side up each time you pay a mana activation? Yeah. Or you meet like whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, fold the card. That'd be that'd be crazy. Here we go. Yes, We're developing crazy. the next unset, mm-hmm. and these will be black border cards too. <laughs> well, of course. So, um, speaking of brews, yes. Um, so you've been working quite a bit on brewing standard. Yeah, bro- brothers uh, were. Yeah, brothers were really got me like thinking about standard and how much i love artifacts based stats sets and such so uh what better impact on a format than standard so i'm getting really into standard because of this new set it's pretty interesting i'm I'm really liking the brothers war do you want to tell them how our arms race uh brew went yeah it didn't it, yeah it did. we worked like we worked what three days on it it was yeah. like day one we're like okay Let's see if we can make this work in modern. And we're like, okay. Uh, we quickly said, no, this isn't going to yeah, be powerful but, enough. By the by, the end of day one, we're like, yeah, we're let's assembling do a pioneer. pioneer deck. Yeah. <laughs> and then we put together a pioneer one, and then we played it, and, and then we're like, yeah, this isn't really good either because we were doing um, <laughs> the arms race brew against uh, mono green devotion. As one should. As one should, yeah. And then um, just did not come out. It was not, one, it was not fun to play. Two, it didn't do the thing. Yep. And it was very slow. So we kind of were like, I guess it's not a Pioneer thing either. Arms Race lets you put Artifact into the play from your hand for paying four mana, right? Is it Artifact Uh or Creature? Or is it just Artifact? Artifact. Yeah, it's just artifacts. So that's kind of a restriction. Um, <clears throat> and it's just it's just too slow. I think we didn't try it in standard, but uh, but basically when I was thinking about what to do, how to do arms race, I'm like, okay, I want to get Portal to Phyrexia in play. But then I got to thinking about it and there was already an existing reanimator shell that used Invoke Justice to get Titan of Industry in play. So in, Invoke Justice says creature or artifact. So like... Why not? Well, it's a couple other things, but why not just do it there, right? And that seemed way more effective than ever touching the arms race card. And it is Mm -hmm. way more effective. It's actually a pretty good deck. So the idea is that you reanimate it with uh, repair and recharge, which is a Brothers War card, Mm -hmm. or invoke justice. So invoke justice can also target the Titan of Industry. Mm Mm-hmm. Or the Frexian Portal, which you want to get the Frexian Portal out because it makes them opponent sack three creatures, and then you get to pull creatures back from the graveyard every turn. Mm-hmm. So you can, it's very, very valuable to do such a thing. And Arms Race is inherently worse because you have to sacrifice the thing you put into play at the end of turn. 
So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, invoke justice. It pulls from the graveyard. Yes. Okay. So, so the uh, theory of the, the 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 play pattern of the deck is you use cards to dump your hand into the graveyard. Okay. Um, Restoration of a Ganjo and uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker are two of the cards. It's Boros. Um, and then you pull them back out with invoke justice or repair and recharge. Nice. Turn five, essentially, which is what you would be doing. It's turn, it's turn five or four. If you get restoration of it or no, it's, it's turn, it'd be turn five, which is the same as arms race, except it stays out permanently and not doesn't go away. So I just think arms race is too costly and too slow. That was my evaluation after the testing. It seems interesting at first, but. Not so much. Yeah. I yeah, agree. the the problem is you kind of want to play it and use it on the same turn, but then that's eight yeah. mana. Yeah. It's really hard to get there. Actually, um, it does give me an idea. Oh yeah. Are you gonna figure out arms race? I don't think it's gonna work in modern still. Yeah, definitely not. Um well they already have underworld breach, so like why wouldn't you just do that? Yeah. There are but some what, restrictions to Underworld Breach. You what to, if you were using Fires of Invention? That is a... What does that set, card oh, That's from Midnight Hunt, or what's that set set from? Uh, it's before oh, Midnight Hunt. That would be uh, Pioneer, right. Yeah. Uh, Fires of Invention says each turn you can cast, I believe it's two spells from your yeah. hand uh, with converted mana costs less than or equal to the amount of lands you control. Mm-hmm. And so you... Uh, you use that to get Portal out? So you could... Well, you could use that to play Arms Race for free. Oh, and then and use have your mana. mana open to activate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a deck in Pioneer that that is cropping up that's using Fires of Invention as you were describing, but they are not using arms race. Maybe, maybe it's something to think about because you could could drop arms race for free and then activate mm -hmm. it with the mana that you're not using to cast the spells. Well, yeah. And you can cast from your hand two spells for free and then arms race something in every single turn with your mana. Yeah. That might be a, that might be an interesting angle to look at. I'll have to look at that deck and see. uh, Smell a explorer brew challenge. Maybe, um, maybe I. I that, my next point is I don't have any more wild cards left. <laughs> I also uh, did a brew with the help of one of the people that watches the stream. Um, shout out to Red Stride, uh, but with the third path iconoclast, it seems it seems I like the Boros Reanimator deck better than this one. Um, and my thoughts on third path path iconoclast is. It's it's a good card, but man, like when you have the Monastery Swift Spear in there and you have that um oh Thermal Alchemist or whatever, the guy that gets trample and gets a one-one counter every time you cast an instant or sorcery spell. We have those two people in there. It's kind of like just overkill to have third path iconoclast. It's like a win mm-hmm. more condition. So I I'm not sure how much I like it in that deck. I feel like its strength would come in more of an artifact base where artifact matters kind of deck. But Mm -hmm. that's what I kind of discovered about that card. And I have no wild cards left, so I can't even build the really good Azorius Soldiers deck that's out. But I also want to break Transmogrin's Crown. 
I really want to break that card. It's like the skull clamp light, you know? Yeah. And I know there's, I know there's a way with the Oni Colt anvil. I just, I just don't have the, <laughs> the wild cards to test things. So maybe I'll take that to Moto and test that out on Moto. Mm, yes. Where I can test any card I want to. Silly. Wild cards are silly. Anyway, that was my uh, experience with brewing in Brothers War. You guys been messing with any cards? I'd really like it if they added a mode that like maybe it didn't count towards anything, but like where you could like play test or something. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't get any experience for it. You don't get any, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like you get nothing. Yeah. It's like playing against Sparky, but Sparky can get harder. You can change the difficulty level of Sparky. Uh, Where you could like use any card that's in arena and test things, you know, against. But you know why they don't do that. Bacon grease? Yes. It's always the question. That's always the answer. It's always the bacon grease. Um, well, we're greasing yeah. their palms with our brewing. That's what it. That's what it's about. Yeah. Other than um, buffing my Explorer deck with the Swiss Spears, I haven't really done any any brewing with Brother War- Brothers War. I do have four Fires of Invention already. You know. Ding, ding. Because I used to play that deck uh, when it was in Standard. So get get Karuga, but I don't and, have uh, the Phyrexian portal, and I also have no wild cards. So dang! Uh-oh. So can you can you trade me your fires of invention so that <laughs> I wish? <laughs> no, you definitely can't. You cannot because uh, I have the portals. And I've got plenty of wild cards. They're just not the rare variety. No, actually, I, I'd have to look it up. I've got like nine nine. Rares? That's not like, enough. <laughs> you know what? I have ten, and it's not enough. Oh well, then you actually have wild cards. You're just lying. But you can't build a deck out of that with new cards. Yeah, like that soldier deck. I think takes seventeen rares that I don't have. Good lord. Yeah. Hey, you know what you could do? You can just buy um, several <laughs> of the four yeah. rares for ten dollars. Sure. Huh? Huh? Spend, sure. spend 250 on a on a 50 cent rare yeah, yeah. sounds like a great idea all uh, right it's i'm sure wizards thinks it's an amazing idea anyways um as i was saying been playing some limited um yeah. here and there so i do dig the brothers war limited environment i think it's with really the retro artifacts yeah yeah oh man i brewed this run deck that i was drafting and there was a liquid metal coating and i i passed it up Right. And then, um, but also I took, like, whenever there's a um, disenchant or a destroy target artifact, mm-hmm. so I went ahead and took that because there'll be a lot of artifacts in this set. That's good removal. So I uh, put together this red white deck that played really good for the what, most part. What if you um, had a liquid metal coating? Yeah, well, that's that's the one thing that I've, I've I ran into is like the green. There's a green deck running around that doesn't really use any artifacts. Mm-hmm. That one's rough to beat because I um, didn't get enough non-artifact removal to successfully handle a mm-hmm. lot of the green threats. Uh, so having that liquid metal coating would have been. Oh yeah. Chef's kiss. So I that's tell you the, what. Uh, also, with that, the new what'd you call it? The artifacts, retro artifacts, retros. Yeah. 
What's really been annoying me in historic now is that Goblin Charbelcher deck. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've heard about it and how toxic it is. I, I haven't played Historic to really find out. It's uh, it, So it's kind of like, uh, do I have a Thoughtseize in my hand or not? Yep. Uh, if I have the Thoughtseize, I'm probably going to win. And if I don't have the Thoughtseize, I'm probably going to lose. Because it's just, it's get to four mana and win is what it is. Like If you have I no disruption... That. I bet that Charbelcher deck's really fun to play. Uh, it probably is on, on Arena. Does does it have that one card that reorders your deck? No, they don't need it. They what don't. They don't run any basic lands. They don't run no. any. They run no lands at all. It's all. Well, the, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's all the spell lands from what was that uh, Zendikar? It's mm-hmm. recross the pass. I think that's what it's called. Um, yeah, it, it's all the the lands from Zendikar, uh, the one red spell that makes a treasure token, and Iron Crag Feet and Charbelchers. Pretty sure that's the only thing that's in it. So <laughs> in the modern Charbelcher, yeah, this wouldn't be in there because it's a Morning Tide card. Uh, it's not legal and oh, it's not on Arena. But yeah, the recross the pass lets you reorder your deck like Char. It does the same thing Charbelcher does, but it lets you put them back in any order. And then so you organize your draws so that when you play your draw card spells, you get all your things immediately and then win um, all your pieces. So it makes the Charbelcher deck like super consistent. Yeah. So it's not such a glass cannon like, oh, I didn't draw a Charbelcher, I, I lose. Um, this This makes it so that you win. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, but it's he, it's kind of just an annoying deck. It's not like it's totally beatable, and if it was best of three, uh, you oh, would yeah. beat it every time. But yeah, but, again, best of three just takes too long to play. So, so like in best of one, it's kind of like, did you disrupt it or no? Yeah, were you prepared for this? Yeah, I I I've been thinking a lot about best of one, and I I think that there's a place for it. But it's not the way I like to play Magic. You know so what I mean? It, in general, I, I would agree with you. Um, at least in one-on-one Magic. Yeah. I, I think best of three is the best version of Magic. Even mm-hmm. even if you subtract the sideboard, I still think best of three is the best right. version of Magic. But the sideboard is important, and that's what makes it more interesting. Um but also just like in terms of playing on arena and getting your shit done every week, best of one yeah, is right. the most effective. Exactly. I find it really interesting. There's a different meta for best of one and best of three. Yeah. I mean, like, it's been that way forever for as long as I can remember. Cause even back when it was like when arena was getting big, what was the card? Uh, the take an extra turn card. Yeah, where they were like, yeah, they were like, yeah, this is okay in best of three, but in best of one, it's ridiculous. Yeah, um, so that's, that's I, I prefer playing best of two, but I will play best of one if I'm just trying to get my dailies done or if I'm like just got a fresh brew that I'm like, I'm not sure how this is going to perform. I haven't yeah. built the sideboard yet. But best of, best of three is just too time consuming for what arena is. Yeah, it, you're right. It is. Um, I do think that, is that mm. invoked a spare deck more of a best of one type thing? Because I, I think I this is just my experience, but I, I think I play against it more when I do best of one than a 
So it seems pretty well suited for best of three. Like it's got a pretty decent sideboard um, and it it seems well equipped to deal with things. Mm -hmm. So um, I I think it's okay in best of three. I mean, it's still a good deck. Yeah. I just think maybe there's more percentage, higher percentage of people who play best of one with that deck than there's probably more varied in best of three. You know what I mean? Right. Like, well, there's certain decks that don't do well in best of one that wouldn't be played as much. Also, typically, the people who are playing best of one are the people who are just trying to get their shit done. So that's true. Um, I think you see a lot more of the things that are kind of quick uh, and to the point than you do in best of three. You know, you hardly ever see control in best of one uh, right. because who wants to play a really long match in best of one? Uh, people that like to see people rage quit. They get their wins like that. Well, I mean, that's fair. It is a win con. I, I mean, I I am getting somewhat tired of at least here recently. It seems like I played against a lot of people who just exit the game and don't concede. Oh yeah, um, and you have to watch the rope. Yeah, yeah, and that's been getting somewhat frustrating. I have been. I have. De- I I've run into that a lot. Yeah. I I mean, less than best of three. I understand it. <laughs> kind of when I'm playing yeah. that that red black deck and you have no hand in like turn three, mm-hmm. I like I get quitting out in frustration, but concede so I don't have to sit there and stare at a rope for three right. minutes. They're like, I'm going to punish you. You've controlled mm-hmm. them out, and they have to find some way to control you. Yeah. So I just I don't know. I maybe I'm just I give people the benefit of the doubt too much. I, I just maybe, like to be a good competitor, I guess. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't like to do. Like I said last, I think it was last podcast, the only time I have ever been toxic to someone is that time that I roped the guy who was spamming your go before oh, right. I had even drawn my card <laughs> yeah. for the turn. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, dude. But his action is probably a result of people roping, right? Like He's like, possible. your go, go on, go on. I'm tired of sitting through these ropes. You know, I, you know me and, in, and anyone who's played Magic with me knows like I, my pet peeve is people taking too long. Yeah, like it, it. Like I am constantly game planning. I am constantly thinking about what you could be playing, and so when my turn comes around, I'm usually have a pretty good idea of where I'm going already. Yeah, your turns go pretty quick. Yeah, um, and then playing against people who take a frustratingly long amount of time <laughs> to to make the most simple of plays. I, I'm yeah. just like, dude, come on. Like, yeah. I- and so I, uh, I try to be cognizant of that, take my turns quickly and, and not leave people in the lurch. And then this, you know, that Golden one rule. dude, yeah. that one dude, man, he, <laughs> he started your go in me as soon as I drew the card. And I was like, oh, this match is going to take a long time. So yeah, when I, I roped to the max. That match probably took like 35 minutes. <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully he changes his behavior. Unlikely. Um, I will say that when I'm when I'm brewing something and playing a fresh deck, sometimes I take take a little bit to figure out what's going on. But the I mean, more that's and more under- I play, you get comfortable with the deck, and I, that's understandable because uh, you know I'm the same I'm the same way. Like the first few times playing a deck, I'll take my time, I take it slow, try to figure out what the best routes are, and and sometimes if I'm playing a more convoluted deck, I takes takes more time too. Yeah, I'm like Caramon um, from uh, Dragonlance. I'm not dumb. I just. I just look at every single angle angle before I make a move, you know. Right, um, and that, that's but, only when I'm first learning a deck, or you know, I just brewed something or that's whatever. A, it's a pretty sick nerdy reference there, man. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, I mean, hey, those books are great. They are. Well, I think we've run our course. Let's wrap this podcast up. Uh, why don't you tell everyone where they can find us, Ben? You can find us on Twitter at MPG Pod. You can find us on Twitch at Magic Proving Grounds. Schedule's posted there. You can see when we stream. Stop by, say hi. Uh, what else? My Twitter is at BeNiceMPG. And where can they find you? Well, they can find me on the Twitters at Dave underscore MPG. And uh, where can they find you, other Dave? Uh, they can't find me anywhere because I am not an Elon Musk stan like the two of you with Twitter <laughs> accounts. Okay, so if I do the hyper nerdy thing and get a Mastodon account, will you join Mastodon? And uh, the the metal band, the open source Twitter clone. Oh, nah, I'll, I'll wait for Mox Twitter Twitter field. See, that's <laughs> what I'm, honestly, that's what I'm waiting for is the the Mox field uh, yeah. thing. <clears throat> well, that's it, guys. Uh, see you next week or, or something. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a sucker for good uh, cornbread stuffing. Yeah, that's that's the way we, like I said, bake the cornbread, let it sit out and dry, get nice and crispy, put some sausage in it, some a uh, little bit like, of chicken stock when you're that cooking it. Delicious. What kind of sausage? Like a like a sage sausage? Or yep. Like breakfast like, sausage? Yep. Breakfast sausage. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm on. Can I just make stovetop and put that in there? You think that'd work? I yeah, I bet it would. <laughs> Because I ain't trying to do no like real stuffing. I also <laughs> recommend when you make the stovetop, instead of putting in the water like it says, put 50% water, 50% chicken stock. That's usually what I do. Uh, I don't think my kids... My kids made the stuffing this year. I don't think they did that, but... We're still Heathens. Heathens. Yeah. Yeah, but, but let me tell you my, my, my concoction. You get um, butter and garlic... Mm-hmm. And then you do about, I don't know, about 66% that. And then the other 33%, you put bacon grease in and you mix it up real good and you inject that into your turkey. You have to, uh, I assume you have to melt the bacon grease first. Um, yeah. I mean, you got to make sure it's going to go into through the syringe. Mine was right. fine. It was room temperature. Um, and then uh, you slather more bacon grease all on the outside of the bird. Do you do you do like uh, my grandparents did, and do you just have like a cup on the stove that's full of old bacon grease that you just spoon out uh, of every once in a while? No, but when I cooked bacon like two days before, I was like, I'm gonna save this grease just like those that the, those old cups. <laughs> yeah, that's I. It's always my memory of my grandparents' house is that there was just a cup, like a coffee cup, yeah, on coffee the cup. Stove. Yep. That was just filled with bacon grease, and whenever they they would just spoon some out and throw it in the pan every time they cooked. Delicious. And throw up in my mouth a little bit. Oh man, it's so good. It is good, but it's also probably why my grandparents weighed three hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah, it's not healthy. Uh, I did not cook a healthy bird.
but it was delicious. <laughs>